Last week we talked about the rapture, and we talked about the rapture taking place sometime really during chapter 5. And so I was going to move on to chapter 6 in Revelation, but I decided to go ahead and answer one more question that gets asked a lot. Surprisingly, uh, more than you'd think, I get asked the question, well, what, what actually happens to us after we die? If we, if we don't make it to the rapture, if we die before the rapture, what happens to us? What happens to our body? What happens to our soul? And so I want to answer that question this morning. And so we're going to start in our notes. I put some scriptures in your notes so we don't have to find them. And we're just going to talk about death a minute because we all love to talk about death. It's very exciting. We're all going to get there one day, probably. And, uh, as, you know, we just talk about it all the time at the dinner table, at picnics, uh, at sports events. I mean, don't you? Yeah. So since we talk about it so much, I thought we would today, too. So let's start with Hebrews 9.27. It's in your notes. It says, just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment. After that to face judgment. So this verse is taken out of a passage. The passage is not really talking about the afterlife or anything like that. And I want to point out that we're going to be pulling facts out of Scripture. We're not going to take anything out of context. We're not going to, we're not going to try to make something say what it doesn't. We're just going to pull facts out of Scripture. We're going to put those facts into a package so that we can understand what happens after we die. Because there is no passage that says, here's the five things that happen in this order after you die. So we have to do a little research, maybe a little forensic research in the Bible to get these things. And this is our first clue. Just as people are destined to die once, which we'd all go, yeah, we knew that, after that to face the judgment. So A in your notes, judgment can be a good thing. So we don't need to be scared because we're going to face a judgment. Judgment can be a good thing. A lot of the kids that are here and a lot of the kids that walked out just a minute ago, they won prizes at the fair. There was a Lego creation won a prize, some art won some prize, different prizes were won. Well, those were all judged. Some judge walked up and said, this is good, this one's the best, and they gave them an award. So in that sense... Judging is good. In the Olympics, they judge your success. If you get a perfect 10 on, on a gymnastics event, that mean you, means you did it perfectly. You did it better than anyone else ever has, and you did everything correctly. So that's a good judge. So judgment can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. When you're summoned to superior court, or you're summoned to that kind of a judge, it usually brings a little bit of fear and intimidation because you know that bad things happen there. People get fined, people get sent to jail, people get yelled at, bad things happen. So we have good judging and we have bad judging, and, and those both take place, but let's continue that sentence. But it is always just, it's always a just thing when it comes to God. So God is always the true judge, he's always the righteous judge, and he's always the fair judge. So if, if God is judging, we know it's correct. He is the standard by which we judge. So when he judges, it is correct. So if I have the feeling that God's wrong, and God says, no, I'm not wrong, my advice is go with God and change your feeling. Because God is always correct. That's kind of what makes him God. So he says, after we die, we're going to face judgment. And some will face good 
type of judgment. Some will taste a, face a bad type of judgment, but it will always be just judgment. And then B in your notes, death is when your life here on earth ends. And you might say, well, that was really silly to put that in the notes. What does this matter? Well, I just want you to note that the rapture would be included in this. So if the rapture happened right now, okay, or in a few minutes or a few hours or a few years, the rapture takes place and we haven't died. Everything I'm going to say, you can plug in, that's the moment of your death. Because you will leave the earth. You will no longer continue to live in the form or fashion that you were living before. Others will continue to live on this earth. As a believer, you're raptured away. We talked about that last week. You're transformed. So you're not living the way you did. We're going to just call that dying. Okay. So if you're raptured, that's your death. And everyone dies at least once. And we face the judgment after the end. So that's, that's Hebrews 9.27. Not too deep, but some important things. Acts 24, 14 and 15, the end of 14, it says, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. That's from Paul. So eventually, the point is, everyone's going to raise from the dead. There will be a resurrection of everybody. So we have to talk about what happens after we die because there is a after we die. There is no annihilation. That's a theory, but it's an untrue theory. There's no annihilation. There's no, I just go to sleep and everything goes away. There is a resurrection of both the wicked and the dead. That's what Paul said. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus said, do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So Jesus now is saying that everyone will rise. Those who've done good will rise to, to, to live or to life, and those who have done evil will rise to condemnation or death. So Andrew notes, all of mankind, whoever lived, will be resurrected. So Adam will be resurrected, Eve will be resurrected, Methuselah will be resurrected, King David will be resurrected, Grandma will be resurrected, Uncle Billy will be resurrected, if he's dead. Sorry, Billy, I didn't mean to prophesy anything there. <laughs> My cousin Billy, there we go, will be resurrected. Everyone's going to be resurrected. Every person who's ever walked on the face of the earth will be resurrected at some point. Not all at the same time, but at some point. B in your notes, the saved will rise to eternal physical life and reward. Eternal, eternal physical life and reward. Matthew 6.20 tells us to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. That's part of the reward. But I want to go to that eternal physical life. It's eternal because, remember, we're transformed. We're transformed. We're given an imperishable body. This body is perishable. That's why it looks the way it does. It's gaining um, speed towards the perishing part. But when I'm, when I'm risen, especially at the, at the rapture, it's imperishable. It will be a new body, a complete body, a renewed body. And when it says life, this is not breathing. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not resurrected just to breathe. I'm resurrected to live 
the sin-free life God intended at creation. So remember before Adam and Eve sinned? Before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked with God. They talked with God. I believe they could communicate with creation, with the, with the animals and whatnot. They were given jobs to do that honored God. They, they, they helped in the situation. Uh, they interacted. They did, they, they were, it was perfect. We can't really describe it because we don't have any reference for it. But in, in their world, for however long that was, it was absolutely perfect. And they lived as God intended them to live. They did not have sin getting in the way. They didn't have a sin nature tempting them. Satan wasn't there yet causing problems. And that's how we're going to live. That's what that, that eternal life is going to look like. When we rise to life, that's what it's going to look like. Senior does, the unsaved will be raised to eternal physical death. And again, that death is not breathing or not breathing. That death is described in other places as the total separation from God, unintended but chosen. So we were all intended to have a relationship with God like Adam and Eve had. But God gives us a choice. He says, I'm not going to make you serve me. I'm not going to make you worship me. I'm not going to make you choose me. I'm going to let you choose so that if you choose, it's genuine and it's real. And if you choose to worship me, if you choose to accept my forgiveness and enter into a relationship, then, then you have life. But if you choose not to accept, then I will give you what you want. I will allow you that choice and it will be death. So this death is separation from God. So the unsaved will be raised to eternal physical death and punishment. The saved are raised to reward the good judgment. The unsaved are raised for death or for punishment, the, the wrong kind of judgment. That's all there. That's all part of the deal. Uh, number three in your notes, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I want to read this to you. It says, then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. This is further in Revelation, so this is a preview. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. They had been resurrected. And books were opened. Notice it's plural books, okay? So we have the books, a set of books. Then it says another book was opened, a singular book which is called the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, the first set of books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire that is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we have a set of books, and then we have a book. The set of books is a set of books because it contains more names in it, and it also has records. All the deeds, everything that's been done. And, and then those who die and are unsaved will be judged according to what's written in the book. They will receive a just penalty. So yes, Hitler is going to get a hotter or more deadly, more torturous place in hell than the nice person who just decided they didn't want to become a Christian. There is a standard, uh, a just standard of punishment in hell. Just like in heaven, we'll be rewarded according to what we do. A in your notes, the unsaved are judged according to the records 
of their works that are recorded in those books. But B, the saved are judged according to their works as well, but evidence of their righteous works are the only ones to be found. This is what God does for us. Psalm 103, 8 through 10 describes a situation where our sins are cast away as far as the east is from the west. And, and there is no greater distance than the east is from the west. You can keep going around east, and there's always more east to go. Turn around and go west, there's always more west to go. So God says our sins, when they're forgiven, are cast as far away as the east is from the west. Therefore, there's nothing recorded in the book. So the books are multiple books because there's so many people and all the deeds recorded. The book of life only has names. It only has names because there's nothing to be judged that's, that's against us. It simply is, so-and-so belongs to me. All right, welcome, servant. Welcome, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. So that's called the great white throne judgment. So there is death. We are going to be judged. Everyone will be raised. We talked about the rapture last week. Now let's talk about the order of things. So turn your notes over. There's five steps to be taken after you die. Five steps. I don't know why I'm so excited about this. It's kind of weird, but I am. So the pathway of a saved person. So we're going to spend almost all of our time talking about the pathway of a saved person. So someone who has a relationship with Christ, whose sins have been forgiven, whose name is written in the book of life. This is the person we're talking about. So step one, A, at death, your body and soul are separated. At death, your body and soul are separated. All right, B, your body remains on earth and your soul goes to paradise. A paradise. Your body remains on earth, your soul goes to paradise. In Luke 16, 19 through 31, and all the references on this side of the sheet, you're going to have to look up yourself. I don't have time to read them to you. Most of them are very familiar. This is a story of Lazarus and the rich man. And Jesus speaks and he says, there was a man named Lazarus who was a beggar. He begged at the gates of a rich man. They both died. Lazarus went to be with Abraham and the rich man went to Hades. The rich man spoke across the chasm and said, Abraham, send Lazarus back to warn my brothers. Long story short, Abraham says, no, I'm not going to do it. He says, but if he goes back, my brothers will believe and they won't come here. Abraham says, well, actually, they won't believe, so let's just end the conversation. And that's where it ends. The facts of the story are that Lazarus went to be with Abraham, and we call that place paradise. It's not called paradise in the passage, but the place where the rich man was is called Hades. So paradise is like heaven, but not heaven. It's, it's a waiting room for heaven. It's on the way to heaven. It's the place where God is, but it's not the place you're going to be for eternity. Okay, it's a, it's a short stopover. Some people have been there. Adam and Eve have been there for several thousand years now. Someone will barely get in the door when it's time to leave. Okay, it's just a waiting room. Hades is not hell, but it's hell-like. It's a, it's a waiting room on the way to hell. It's not pleasant. It's not like the, the, the waiting room of the dentist where you know what's going to happen inside, but outside you're still okay. It's, it's not a fun place to be. You don't want to be there. The rich man was tormented there in some way or another, and he says, don't, don't let my brothers come even to here. In 
Luke 23, 43, Jesus is on the cross. There's a, there's a thief on the right and a thief on the left. One thief continues to mock Jesus. Hey, if you're really God, get yourself off the cross. Blah, blah, blah. Does everything everyone else is doing. Why he thought that was a good idea, I'm not sure. Um, seems like he could have concentrated on dying. The other thief said, hey, don't do that. Don't you know who this is? And he turned to Jesus and he said, please remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus' answer was, today you will be with me in paradise. That's where we get the name paradise. So we have two descriptions of paradise, and we have a mention of Hades, and it's mentioned several times. And so we have the place where the saved go and the place where the unsaved go. So see in your notes, you are recognizable, interactive, and aware. So after you die, when you go to this waiting room or this place where you're awaiting either, either your reward or your punishment, you're recognizable. The rich man recognized Lazarus, recognized Abraham. He had never met Abraham, so maybe there's even some supernatural recognition going on there. You're interactive. They had a conversation, and you're aware the man knew his brothers were going to follow him. So there's, there's a lot of awareness going on. I don't know how much you're aware of or not. We're not told that, but we know those things happen. So step one, at death, my body just goes into the ground or into a grave or into the sea or into a crematorium or it doesn't really matter. Your body just stays here on earth. It, it starts to rot, does the thing bodies do. My soul goes to one of those two places. The saved person's soul goes to paradise. Step two. At the rapture, God recreates your human body. That's exciting. That should, that should get us a smile at least. God recreates your human body. So at the rapture, where those who are still living, they come up, they're transformed. I'm recreated if I'm dead already. I've died. So I get a body that doesn't stop. It's now imperishable. It's now as it was intended to be. And I'm quite sure mine's going to be a lot better than it is. My, my son, who had to leave this morning to go back to Reading, he stopped by the church this morning to say goodbye. I got up out of the chair back there and I went, oh, because my legs hurt. And he says, is this an all the time thing? And I go, yeah, pretty much all the time thing. I won't have that problem then. My body will be fresh. It will be new, it will be recreated, it will be perfect. So at the rapture, God recreates your human body, okay? and then B, your recreated human body joins together with your soul. So your soul has been in paradise, you've been recognizable, you've been interactive, you've been aware. The rapture takes place, God recreates your body, they're joined together, and now your brand new soul and your brand new body are one, Okay, and then see our resurrected body will be imperishable, glorified, powerful, and spiritual. Now, I, I kind of know what imperishable might be like because I've experienced perishable. But in reality, I don't know what imperishable feels like. Okay, I might know a little bit of power, and I, I might know a little bit of being spiritual, but I, I have no concept of what it feels like to be glorified. And the level of power I will experience, which I don't know what is, is going to be very different than today. So I will experience at least four things when that takes place that I do not experience now. I will be imperishable. I will be glorified. 
I'll be powerful and I'll be spiritual. Doesn't mean I'm going to be God or replace God. It just means I'm with God. So because I'm with God, these things are given to me. So my body and soul are separated at death. My soul goes to paradise. At the rapture, my new body will join my soul and we will live in this fashion. Step three, I will remain in paradise for the seven years of the tribulation. So the rapture signals the beginning of the tribulation. That lasts seven years. My body and soul joined together will remain in paradise. Then at the end of that seven years, then I will serve Christ as priest or rulers okay, during the thousand-year reign of Christ here on this earth. You can read about that in Revelation 26. So there's a thousand-year reign of Christ where Christ comes down, sets up an earthly kingdom. It says this is what it would be like to live under my rule on this earth. Sin is still there. There are still sinners. But he says, I'm going to be in charge. And so we will come and rule with him. All right? Step four. After the thousand-year reign of Christ, all of mankind goes to judgment. All of mankind goes to judgment. So this is when everyone else is resurrected. Because we all go to judgment. B. All mankind is judged for their deeds, both good and bad. But C, for the saved, our sinful deeds are no longer on record. So since they're not on record, we're not judged for them. Jesus was judged for them. He paid the price in advance. And then step five, after judgment day is over, we enter the new heaven and the new earth. We enter the new heaven and the new earth, which is described in Revelation 21. We're going to get there one day. So step one, I die. My soul goes to paradise where God is. My body just stays here on earth. Step two, at the rapture, my recreated body rises up. It's joined with my soul. We remain in paradise for seven years. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, there's the thousand-year reign of Christ where I will come to the earth with Christ. I'll be on his leadership team doing the things he asked during that thousand-year reign of Christ. After the thousand-year reign of Christ, everyone is judged. After judgment day, I enter into my reward. Really not that complicated. Right? Not that complicated. It's, it's really that easy. And that's a result of our salvation. For those who die as unbelievers, it says step one. I really didn't label all the steps in your notes. You'll forgive me for that. But step one, their bodies stay on earth. Their souls go to Hades. Remember, Hades is a hell-like place, but it's not hell. It's not anywhere close to hell. Everyone's pretty much in the same state. It's a waiting room. B, they will be resurrected to eternal life after the thousand-year reign of Christ. So they remain in that state until after the thousand-year reign of Christ. So they'll be like that for an extra thousand years. See, they are also judged according to their deeds done on earth. But when judgment day is over, they are thrown into the lake of fire. I want you to see there are two distinct paths. They're parallel paths in some way. They go through the same process. There's the separation of the soul and the body. There's a resurrection of the soul. There's a joining of the soul and the body back together. There's the judgment, but then one turns right, one turns left. Saved people are, are sent to heaven. Unsaved people are sent to hell. How does that relate to today? It relates to today because we're going to hear the testimony of 
three people that at one point in their life would have found themselves in Hades, would have stood before God in a courtroom to be judged, and at the end of that judgment would have been sent to hell. But now you're going to hear from three ladies who at some point in their life said, I want my sins to be forgiven. I want a relationship with God. I will make Jesus my Lord and Savior. And then they were transformed. Now they're on the other side of the courtroom. Now when they are in court, they get the good judge who says, I'm glad you're here. Your sins have been forgiven. Here's your reward. And they get to go to heaven. And so when we have our baptism this morning, we're going to see a recreation of that process that took place. So they're going to share their testimony. We're going to hear about their salvation. Then we're going to get in the water, and we're going to stand there, and I'm going to ask them a few questions, and then I'm going to grab them around the head. Hey, there's fun parts of being a pastor. And I'm going to put them under the water, and I'm going to bring them back up. And the picture, the reason we do it that way, is that when they go under the water, they're saying, I was buried with Christ. When Christ went into the tomb, I went in with him. And when Christ rose from the dead, I also rose with him. In other words, because Jesus died, and because Jesus rose, my sins can be killed, and my, I can be risen again to new life, we call it. That's when that new soul takes place. So if we're saved, we have the new soul already. That's why it goes to paradise, because it needs to be kept. All right? And so it's a picture. I once, on my own, had nothing. I would face God as the judge. Now, with Christ, I was buried with him and rose to new life. And that's what the picture is. So we're going to have a little transition. Shortest sermon you're ever going to get from me, so you're welcome. We're going to have a little transition, and um, Dolly and Eileen are already here. Kathy's going to come up. You're going to get to stretch your legs. Don't go running around. Stand up, stretch your legs. We're going to move some stuff around, and then, and then they're going to come, and they're going to give their testimonies. So I'm going to pray. I know you guys are almost moving. When I say amen, then we're going to take about two or three minutes, and I need someone to run over and let the... Let the kids know, if you want your kids, I need you to get your kids so the adults over there can witness the baptism and the kids can be here too. Okay, does that make sense? Got everything covered? Okay, let's pray. Father God, you know, in some ways, I guess we don't need to know what happens after we die because you've got it covered. But we are a curious bunch of people. and We have questions, so we're thankful for the answers that are provided in Scripture. We thank you that you explain the rapture. And that those who are still alive when you return will be transformed and will simply meet you in the air. And, and we'll, by the time we get there, we'll have those new bodies. And those who have died already at that same moment in time will rise up from wherever they're at and also be given new bodies and also meet you in the air and will be rejoined with our souls. And we'll spend seven years in paradise together. And then we'll come back and spend a thousand years on the earth with you. And then we enter into our final reward, the new heaven and the new earth. Thank you that you've given us all this information. You give it to us because that's where our hope comes from. Because this world brings us trouble and anxiety 
and hardship. Often things happen to us that we have no control over. Illness, natural disasters, all kinds of stuff. But we have a hope for a future where all those things are, are gone. They no longer exist. The new heaven and the new earth. No sin. No trials. No temptations. We live the life you intended us to live. Eternal life, we call it. Father, thank you for all that information and all those realizations so that we can live here with that hope and it gives us strength to live now the way you want us to live so that we can bring others with us. Father, we celebrate two brand new believers and one who's been a believer for a long time who are standing up and giving us their testimony. May it honor you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.